If you're visiting with us, we're in a series called uh, Eternally Human, and we're looking at how the resurrection of Jesus affects our lives now. So we, we thought we'd think a lot about um, how the death of Jesus affects our lives now, and there's some incredible truths that overflow from the fact that Jesus has died for us, and we, we will continue to look at those, hopefully uh, forever. Hopefully the church never becomes about anything other than uh, the life of Jesus and what that means for us and our world. Um, but we're just trying to kind of increase, like go to gym and increase our understanding of how the uh, resurrection of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is alive. We're not singing uh, songs to someone who has passed away and is no more. We're singing songs to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who is alive forever. And the life that He offers us to live uh, for Him by His Spirit right now. And so we're looking at this kind of, uh, how do we, what does God have for us? Um, so we're not just, you're not, you didn't get saved, and then either, then God went, you know, um, now just wait for me, I'll come back at some stage, or if you die, I'll, I'll raise you from the dead, like, just get on with your thing, uh, so I come, or you didn't get saved, and God went like, uh, here's a bunch of rules to live by, just to keep you in check until I'm ready for you, or you didn't get saved, and God said, just sit in the bus stop, wait, do nothing, um, but rather, you got saved, and God said, you are my child, I'm going to give you my spirit, and from this moment on, you can be transformed to be more and more like, like my son, and there's a life for you. So every single moment of your day is precious when your faith is in Jesus. And so this text, um, this text we're actually going to look at more next week, the, how, we got to the, how Paul gets to this. This is his conclusion to a, a, a logic that he's showing around sexuality. And we're going to look at that more next week in particular. But this week, we, we're looking at uh, our physical health um, our bodies, what is the usefulness, purpose, purposefulness of them through this text um, a little bit. So as people, uh, we are prone to misunderstanding how to use things. Do you, do you, um, I'll give you examples so you can understand. Um, I've got this pen. I was looking for one. Uh, any of you gentlemen who were in high school, maybe ladies, I just don't remember anyone in my class, this is to most you know, to the ladies in high school classes, a pen, but to gentlemen, it's a paper shooter, right? <laughs> Disguised as a pen, so your teacher doesn't know. Um, any of you guys in this ever shot paper across the class or had a teacher through your pens? Yeah? There you go. Almost every, every guy. What's that? Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to limit uh, the knowledge of what Stephen did so that he doesn't go to jail. Um, so you've, you've dismantled your pen. You remember elastic bands that are useful for holding things together? Did, did anyone ever roll up paper tight and then turn it into a triangle and use an elastic band to shoot? Yeah? Guy, anyone? Guys, girls, raise your hand. Yeah? Most people stand... Most of the girls did. That's brutal. Um, wow. I definitely didn't grow up in Australia. Um, and the goal was to get some sort of welt, right, on, on someone. That's not why elastic bands were made. That's a misuse of elastic bands and paper. Um, I don't know what we do. I don't know what kids in, in, I'd love to know from the high schoolers what kids do now because of uh, environmental friendly everything. What do you wrap up and shoot across the class? Is, does it have to be recycled paper or is it like ethically? It's just a rhetorical question. Thanks. I mean, do, do answer me, but just don't answer me now. Um, some other things, you know, my wife uh, has put chopsticks in her hair to hold it up. 
So, and some of you are going, uh-huh, you know what that is, which means you've put chopsticks in your hair. I understand chopsticks is for eating food. Uh, if you have the, the, unless you, like, you don't have the dexterity and you can't do it. Do you ever feel like you believe in evolution a lot more when you try to use chopsticks? And you're like, <laughs> but my wife doesn't look at chopsticks and think, oh, this would be great to eat food with. She goes, I wonder what I can do with this in my hair. Um, that's a misuse of chopsticks. It's not what they're for. I've heard of, I, I don't know this person, but I've heard of someone who used uh, antibacterial wipes at KFC on their chicken because the wipes said uh, lightly scent, uh, lemon-scented or, or lemon-twisted. So they thought they were uh, putting a bit of lemon on their chicken. That's a misuse of an antibacterial wipe, a hint of lemon. Um, or I heard of uh, people who've used toasters and they put them sideways and then they put the cheese on top of the bread and then you try to get a grilled cheese sandwich that way through the toaster. No, it is not a good idea. <laughs> this is, you're misunderstanding the beginning of the sermon. These are misuses of things. Uh, you will burn the house down. Um, I heard on the radio this week a gentleman in, in um, Australia, in Perth, uh, told a story on the radio this week of his car breaking down and the, because the fan belt uh, snapped. And so he got his girlfriend's pantyhose and used it as a fan belt and got to where he was needing to go. Um, that's a misuse of pantyhose. A genius use, but it's still a misuse. That's not what they were made for. Um, so we're prone, what I'm trying to show you is that we're prone to misusing things. Um, and so as we, we come to thinking about uh, our bodies today, it's, I guess, with the humility of knowing that we are prone to misusing the things that uh, we've been given by God. Um, that not only in our creative-mindedness, but also in our sinful, fallen-naturedness, we've turned things towards ourselves, and so we're looking at kind of, we often look at how can I use what I have for myself, um, which is already a kind of a misuse of things. Um, so we're looking at physical health and our bodies, uh, and the, the passage that we're looking at, as I said, Paul gives us incredible logic about uh, the body, and he's speaking specifically to the Corinthians and, and their issues with sexuality, and so he's like, you have these quotes, and, but it's blah, 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 blah. And his conclusion is, as Charlotte read to us, uh, around his, this is his theological conclusion. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Think about that statement just straight away. Paul's, Paul's not teaching something or how to get somewhere in your spiritual life. He's not saying, do you not know that if you pursue Jesus, if you read your Bible in the mornings, if you pray enough, if you go to church, you can become a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's saying to them, these broken, sinful Christians in Corinth who are really like messing up their spiritual life, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? What a wonderful claim he's making over them. If your faith is in Jesus Christ then you can have this claim of you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So three points I want to look at real quickly today is your body doesn't belong to you. We've looked at that before, but we'll look at it a little more today. Your body does not belong to you. It's a temple of God. So glorify God in your body. Those are the three points. Number one, your body doesn't belong to you. Paul's not afraid to ruffle feathers, right? 
We live in a culture. Think about our culture. Our culture, what does our culture believe about our bodies? That you are an autonomous individual who should do with your body what you want. That's what our culture teaches. The philosophy and ideology of our day and age is that you are an autonomous individual who should really govern yourself. Um, do what you want with your body. So let me read some slogans that uh, exist, have existed but exist also today. My body, my choice. We hear that one uh, frequently, currently at the moment. In the 1990s, Madonna uh, did a very famous video, still famous today, and it's kind of why I, say that, why I went back to the 1990s with this is because that kind of shows kind of the influence over a generation of how people have thought. We're now 30-something years beyond that, and this is what we were thinking 30 years ago in pop culture. This is now normalized. This isn't pop culture. This is uh, deeply ingrained in our roots, at least for 30 years. This is filtered in. Um, she said, uh, I am my own experiment. I am my own work of art. That was the philosophy. Hannah Hart says, nobody is wide wrong because there's no wrong and right in the way we are. Dr. Seuss wrote, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. What a threatening statement. You be you and everyone that challenges that doesn't matter. So the only option is that everyone who loves you must accept every choice you make. That's a threat. Thank you, Dr. Seuss. Kesha the singer uh, writes, I belong to me, my body is my own, and I have the right to do whatever I want with it. A lot of rights. And pause and think about it. When did, we, when did we go, when did we earn our bodies? When did we buy our bodies? When did we go fetch our bodies? When did we, right, we, we are given something. That's very different to a commodity that you go and purchase. I have the right. Your body is a temple. It's your home. And you must decorate it. I don't know how to say her name. Um, but I can tell you it. Sorry, I don't have enough slides. Sorry, I don't have any slides for you this morning. Um, someone said, uh, body, sovereignty, "Body sovereignty means my body, my decisions." So you are, an, we are all sovereign, autonomous individuals. But Paul says, "No, you're not." That's how. That's how kind of bold and courageous Paul is. He goes. He comes into Perth in 2023 through the text this morning. He goes. Uh, all of that ideology, all that Western individuality, all that independence and sovereignty, I, I just want to say to you, no, you're not. You don't belong to yourself. That, sh that should freak us out. We should go, whoa, hold on, Paul. What are you saying? Like, no, like, I don't hear this very often. So listen to what Paul isn't, don't get wrong with Paul. Paul's not saying you are not your own. You belong to someone else. He's not saying that. Paul's not saying you're not your own, you belong to everyone else. He's not saying that. Paul's not saying you're not your own, you belong to and are under the government. Those are all wrong uh, versions. There's slavery and uh, dictatorship and Paul's not saying any of that. He's saying you're not your own, you belong to God. 
Not someone else, not everyone else, not a government, not a cause. You belong to God. So, what does this mean for us? Um, when we realize that God owns my body, there's a few things. I think it means a lot of things, but I just want to touch on three things because I think it's quite uh, incredible. Number one, my body has a very, very wonderful owner. It, it, it's one thing to think that I am the owner of my body. I can make my own decisions. I can do whatever I want. And no one cares about me more than me because I have to live in me. But Paul says, no, there is one who cares about you more than you, and that's God. And He has ownership of your body. It's not that you have been downgraded to owned by God. You've been upgraded to owned by the Creator of all things who is only and always good. He owns you. He has taken ownership of you. He hasn't, it hasn't be, you haven't been defaulted to Him. You haven't, he hasn't opened up the kind of the recycling drawer and found you. Oh no, this is mine. He has taken possession of you. And that's a very wonderful thing. It means God cares deeply for me. It means I have an owner that rejoices over me. I cannot wait one day to walk my three girls and uh, stand alongside my son when they get married. I look forward to it. One of my daughters is trying to push for that to happen too soon. And we're wrestling in our prayers. She's wrestling, God, I'm ready. Take me into marriage. And I'm wrestling, God, don't listen to her. Stay listening to prayers from this room, not that room. So we're wrestling in our prayer life. But I can't wait for that day. Because this is how I, I believe it, it should be. As they found, find spouses that love Jesus more than they love each other and put Jesus first, I feel like I'll be able to look into the eyes of a person that will do my uh, daughter or, daughters or son, they want to do them better than even I can. I don't think there's a man in the world who wants to do my daughters better than I can until I meet their husbands. I feel like I can stand before my father-in-law and say, I know you love your daughter, but I promise you that I love her more. I know you want the best for your daughter, but I promise you I'm committed to that more. There's, there's like something a husband understands in a way, uh, that, a side of love that a father can't. And there's something a father can understand that a husband can't. I, I, I get it. It's, in some ways it's different. But there is some aspect. But there is one who is over all. Our Father God and our, our Bridegroom Jesus who come and say, we have ownership of you and we love you. There is one who loves you greatly. Whatever you've suffered with in your body, suffering with sickness, with disorders, with mental health issues, you have one who loves you. God, God, number two, God's ownership means great value has been placed on you. And it's not based on your health or the culture's depiction of beauty or your abilities or even your capacity. 
You've not been bought because of what you can do. You've simply been bought because God loves you. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says this, Paul, Paul's writing to different, this different group of Christians, but he says, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. We must hear what he's saying there. God being rich in mercy... From a self-centered point of view, we can feel sorry about that, like, oh yeah, like, woe is me. You know, God had to really, like, muster up some, some mercy to, like, look at me. That's not what Paul's saying at all. He's saying, God isn't anything, with, He's rich in mercy all the time. He abounds in mercy. He's constantly merciful. That's how He looks upon people, with mercy in His eyes, with mercy in His heart, with merciful thoughts. He is abounding in mercy, and as God, rich in mercy, sets His gaze upon you, what happens is His love overflows. What Paul says is, because of the great love with which He loves us, He abounds with love. It's overflowing, it's pouring out of Him as He looks upon you and He sees us discarded in our sins, turned inwards and self-righteous, trying to make something of ourselves, trying to find an identity, trying to prove ourselves to be valuable and worthy, if not to ourselves, to someone else. Look at me, tell me I'm beautiful. Look at me, tell me I'm worthy. Look at me, uh, give me a promotion. Tell me I make sense in this world. God looks with abounding love, overflowing, says, I want you. I, I want to rescue you. I want ownership of you. I want to bring, uh, make you one of my children. And through the death of Jesus Christ, Paul goes, continues. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, which means even when we had no worth, even when we were seeming no worth, even when we could do nothing. Well, I, I, it's too far down to go lie down now, but uh, if I was lying down and pretending to be dead, just imagine it. I also am a bit tired, so I might fall asleep. But imagine you were dead. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, when you could do nothing, that merciful, abounding love of God looked upon you, your dead being, and said, I want that. I'm going to give my son to die for that so that I can raise that to life and call it my child. And that's us. You have an owner that has placed so much value on you. By grace you have been saved because you loved Number three, it means that I can shift my, I have to shift my ownership mentality uh, to an ownership mentality from I own myself to I have to steward what God has given me. Right? So an ownership mentality says I've got to make the most of me. I own me. I've got to take my opportunities. I've got to do my best. I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. A stewardship mentality says, God is sovereign, loves me, has given me a life, has given me time, has given me health or unhealth, has given me this body that can do things, can't do things, and God is going to show me and lead me day by day, week by week, month by month, into the things that He would like me to do. And all I'm called to do is steward that. And at the end of the night, I can take the being that God has given me and uh, put my head on the pillow and say, God, are you happy with today's work? Not, don't hear that like a, you know, like a slave master. 
my knuckles are bleeding, I'm broken. Was that enough for you? It's not that, but rather, good God who loves me so much and has given me the stewardship of this being, has this been what you've desired? Or we get up in the morning and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Paul says in Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present, remember the mercies that God is full of? He says, I appeal by those mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I, I love how Paul, go, you know, even though, Paul ha, even though God has ownership of you, you still have to come and present yourself. Because even though God has ownership, He doesn't take control. Right? So God has ownership of you, but you get to come and go, God, thank you for this life you've given me, and can you show me how I can worship you and serve you today, this week, this life, in my career, in my marriage, in my family? So the question then is, uh, what is my body to God? And Paul says, number two, in these verses, it's a temple. Your body is a temple. Have you thought of your body as a temple? Who's, who has thought of their body as a temple before? So, it's like, hey. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Joel. I see that hand. <laughs> okay. I, I'm guessing the awkwardness is around none of us want to seem like we're like uber, like on the wrong side of body positive. Like, yeah, I'm a temple. Look at me. <laughs> right? Like, I'm sure that, that uh, you're all nervous of that. But some of you have, have realized this. Um, and I, I spoke earlier about we, we often misuse things, and, and this is kind of where I want to help us see that. that um, or let me say it another way. There's things that are paired. They go together well. But the one serves the other. I'll give you examples. Um, a kettle and water. Vase and flowers a home and people, a fruit shop and fruit, a light bulb and a light, a wedding and a what? I'm not hearing anything. Feast. A, a bride. A bride and groom. What's a wedding without a bride and groom? So you have these things, but they're not in and of themselves the thing, Right? And so you have a kettle for boiling water so that you can... So let's just have three stations. You have a kettle so that it can boil water so that it, you can drink some coffee or, if you really don't love life, tea. <laughs> Teasing you, joking. Not really. Um, you can have a vase that you put flowers in so that people who come can smell the fragrance and you, even, you can walk, home, walk into your home and be like... Oh, it's beautiful. I love this. You have a home, a home, so that people can live in it, so that you have a space to fellowship and eat food and get rest. Right? You have a, a light fitting fix feature or a light, then you, for a light bulb so that it can give you light so that you can read and stay up later than you should at night and... Do other things. Do you, do you see how the kind of... I'm trying to show you the pairings. So you have a temple. 
The temple exists. And today we might go to temples and we might take photos of them. Oh, that temple's amazing. Look at this amazing temple. It took them like 300 years to make this temple. And then we say things like, no one does anything like this in our modern day and age. Look at the craftsmanship and the time it took. And some people started doing this and it wasn't finished in their whole lifetime. The temple, the, the temple started before they were born and it ended after they were born. Their whole life was given to this. Wow! And we are in awe and wonder of the temple. Some of us are, you know, it's like, are in awe and wonder of the temple. Whether it's like Instagram, you know, Instagram filters. I mean, I, you go, I, on, on Wednesday mornings, I go walk and pray with a friend at the beach. And uh, in the summer, not often, but sometimes there'll be photo shoots because the sun's good at that time of the morning. It's very cold. And there's people with not like appropriate, you know, for very cold weather, you put on a coat but not for an Instagram photo shoot. I'm sure that's not how anyone stands. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we can... The temple's not supposed to be worshipped in that way. That's not what it's for. So the, the, when God isn't in the temple, the temple receives the, the attention, right? That's the problem. The, the reason that people... Um, I, go to, I went to a temple in Japan... And the reason that I was looking around and, you know, other people on the knees praying and I'm trying to be respectful. We went to a temple in India, um, a, a Hindu temple. And we, uh, so going around looking and eating their food and I, not the food that was offered to the gods, the food that they feed you that was offered to the gods. Um, <laughs> and so we, but I'm not, I'm, I'm looking, I'm taking photos and I'm looking around the temple while other people are praying and blah, blah, blah. Why? Because there's no God in there. So all that's left is the people and the building, the architecture, the belief system, the structure. It's interesting. Paul says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jerusalem had this problem. Jesus came into it. And Jesus arrives at the building, the temple that was in Jerusalem. He says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches, all those selling doves. Uh, so all these things that were sold so that you could go worship at the temple, people had turned it into a marketplace. And Jesus is like ruining it, turning everything upside down. Money's going everywhere. Doves are flying everywhere. There's poop. Have you ever, you know, lots of pigeons and doves? There's, ugh. And um, it says, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. I mean, this is a brutal. Jesus is acting like he's, I'm not going to say an Enneagram number here, but Jesus is acting like his best kind of personality type of like, can you imagine this guy? He's like stopping people from going into the temple to worship. But he's, it's all wrong. Uh, Jesus, sorry, and then he says, merchandise in the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said to them, is it not written? My house will be a house call, uh, called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. In other words, you've taken the temple and you're misusing it. You're, you're exploiting it for your own purposes, for your own... Uh, you've turned it into like a consumeristic system where everyone's like trying to profit out of it. 
Is there a way in which we can profit from our bodies? Of course we can. How hard can we push them to get attention? How hard can we push them to make money? How hard can we push them uh, for financial security? How hard can we push them to have friendships? How hard can we push them to feel good about ourselves? How hard can we push them? Or how lazy can we be? Or how, how many adventures can we have? Or how many blah, 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 blah. And Jesus kind of turns us around and goes, like, that's not the purpose of the temple. The, temp- the purpose of the temple that's not it. Isn't it supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations? Isn't it supposed to be a place where people can gather in, around the presence of God and turn their hearts and their eyes towards Him, where all people, are come, regardless of who they are, they're welcome? So it's quite possible to misuse the temple or a temple. The point of the temple is to bring people into the presence of God. That's the point of a temple. The reason a temple exists is that, the, that people who uh, know and want to know God can come into His presence and know Him. So whatever body you have, <laughs> whether you've got one leg or two legs, whether you uh, fit some sort of societal, societal kind of picture of what your body should be like or whether you don't. It, it really doesn't matter. God looks at you with love. He adores you. Whether you're sick or whether you're healthy, He adores you. He's, and Jesus says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a presence of God bearer. You are someone who brings the presence of God into this world that other people should be able to gather around and experience something of the goodness and the love of God overflowing from your life. So if a kettle is for boiling water and the vase is for flowers, then your body is for the presence of God. Then how should we use our body? Paul says, glorify God. This is point number three. Paul says, glorify God in your body. Three things to think about. Number one, I've I've said this a bunch, but just as we land on point number three, how do we glorify God in our bodies? We need to remember, we need to know We truly need to have it settled in our hearts. Can I just pause on this before I say, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you walked with Jesus for years or whether you're just curious about Jesus, I, I really want you to hear this. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're old or young, whether you're sick or healthy, God has placed His love on you. He's demonstrated His great love for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus left the glories of heaven to come to earth and put on human flesh. And He lived a beautiful life of glorifying God and doing good to other people. And He spoke a message of redemption. And He even started to show what it would look like as He healed people and ministered to people. That is a hilarious sound. (laughs) Back at you, man. As he ministered to people, healed their bodies to show them a picture of what it's like when the kingdom of God comes full of love, people are restored and healed and called into freedom. And he died in our place. He suffered in our place so that all of our suffering wouldn't be the end of us. 
If Jesus didn't die in our place, then the consequences of our sin, the suffering that we live with, the issues we experience in this life would, would be the natural consequences and we, that would be the end of us. Just heap and pile the burdens of sin on us and then you die. And a whole bunch of religions and philosophy would make sense, i.e. The, the, I cannot wait to get out of this life. It's so burdensome. And Jesus took the weight of that off the consequences of sin, off. Sickness and suffering and difficulty will not be the end of you. And when we die, it only begins. As John Donne said, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? Because when I die, the only thing that dies is death itself because we are raised to life eternally in Jesus, restored and redeemed. And then Jesus was raised to life so that he had the authority to raise us to life. There's no greater demonstration of love than... than This is what love stories, you know, this is what Hollywood movies try their very, very best to get across. The sacrificial love of one rescuing another with this incredible, unmerited love. It pales in comparison to what Jesus has actually done for us. Number two, as we continue to trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit transforms us to be like Jesus. And this includes how we use our bodies. So the commitment of the Holy Spirit is to transform our lives. And so God gives us this, not only this um, statement of love, you know, like when Nas and I got married, uh, she didn't write wedding vows. No, she did write wedding vows. I was, the, I was the one who didn't write wedding vows. I didn't write wedding vows. She wrote wedding vows. And I remember standing there. It's an incredible commitment when a human being is standing, facing you, promising, making a vow before God to love you in certain ways. It's a very humbling thing. Now, as humans, we struggle through. It doesn't always, it's not always as easy as that moment. But God makes this vow of love over us that is always, He's always faithful to. But not only that, He puts His Spirit in us to transform our lives so that we actually become vessels, a kettle with water, a vase with flowers, a fixture with light a home with people in it. We become not just this loved vessel, but He puts into us His Spirit so that in us the life of God can flow to the world, to those around us. So goodness can come through you that you can't imagine. Love can come out of you that you can't imagine. I feel like my job as a preacher is getting close to an end. How old is he? (laughs) I have about 13 years left and then he's up. Kindness, I cannot imagine, can flow through my life because, well, not because I'm kind, but because God has made me a vessel. He's put His Spirit in so that His kindness can overflow through my life to others. Because, as Paul tells the Galatians, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Mark. Mark God doesn't want the fruit of Mark all over the world. 
I can tell you what it's like. It's impatient. It's ungracious. It's goal-driven. It's now, now, now. It's my way or get out of my way. But as God puts His Spirit in me, and there's a surrender to that, kindness comes, grace comes, patience comes. It's not mine. It's His working through my life. There's, there's not, not a lot of times, but uh, just say, and I'm saying this, not, not uh, whatever. When someone says to me, Mark, you're such a gracious person, I am, they do not know, I am befuddled and flummoxed. Because I know me without the Spirit of God. And when someone says to you, you're so patient, you're so kind, talking to you gives me so much joy. I was so downcast and I spoke to you and you just lifted my spirits. I remember one Sunday I was here, I had nothing to give. I just sat down and put, it was after the sermon, I just sat down, put my hands, in my, my face in my hands, as the rest of the church, we were worshiping God. I had nothing to give. Cheryl Holly just came and sat next to me, just put her arms around me and just prayed. And she lifted my spirit. The a vessel of God filled with the spirit, overflowing in compassion and mercy that raises someone. All of you whose faith is in Jesus, God has said, not only do I love you, not only are you not a museum piece now, I don't just love you so I put you up with a special downlight so that everyone can come and marvel at you. You're not in the museum of God. You're a child of God with the Spirit of God who can now overflow with godliness in your high school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. That's why when I mess up and there's a lot of mark in my family, I can go to my kids and I can say, can you forgive me for being ungracious to you? Can you forgive me for being impatient? There was a lot of me in that. I'm asking God to forgive me because I know that I'm a vessel of God with the Spirit of God, and so I want to have the fruit of God, which would be patient and kind and loving, and I want that to overflow. Sorry for getting in the way. My old self, my dead self, raised itself to life. It overpowered my new self with its evil and sin. I wickedly, and this is not how I talk to my kids because they don't have time for this. I wickedly, with full of evil, was impatient and harsh with you. And then I remembered that my, Jesus has already put my old self to dead death. So I told that zombie to go back into the grave and I agreed with God and I said yes to the Spirit and my heart melted and softened and pride went back to where it should be, which is in the grave. Will you please forgive me? And the other godly vessels in the family say, yes, I forgive you. Or someone, you know, now says, Mark, can I forgive you? I don't know, like once in 19 years when she needs to. Mark, can you forgive me? Sorry. And I go, no, I can't. Because... You didn't tell me what you're sorry for. You said, I'm sorry, but I don't know what you want forgiveness for. Be specific. <laughs> I'm sorry for da 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 da. Yeah, okay, but does that mean you're going to do it again? Because if you're going to do it again, that's not really sorry. So I'll forgive you on pause. Let's just like give it a week. And if you haven't done this for a week, then yes, the forgiveness, it's your forgiveness, but then it will be given to you kind of like a trust fund of forgiveness for you. <laughs> but let's see how you go. Or, <sighs> now can you give me 20 minutes? I'm wrestling with the old self. 
can you just help, just give me 20 minutes, pray. I'm going to go put something, I'm going to go put something back to death at the cross of Jesus. I'm going to remind myself that I'm a loved vessel of God, that I have the Spirit of God, and therefore the power of God, and the ability of God, and the humility and grace and mercy of God to say to you in 20 minutes' time, absolutely I forgive you. That's all I want to do. Come here, my bride. Let me hug you. I wish you were on kids today. Just, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and lastly, number three, you have true freedom. So not only are you like unimaginably used by God uh, in, a, in a wonderful sense, not only can your life be more glorious than you think, but you can also put to death sin as vessels of God, filled with the Spirit of God for the purposes of God, for His glory, you can also put death to sin. You can experience freedom you can't imagine. It is not freedom to say, my body, my choice. That is not freedom. That is slavery to your desires and your will. It is not freedom to be autonomous and an individual. That is not freedom. That is driven by promises that I think if I pursue these things, they will satisfy me and fulfill me, but they always let me down, but I always have to continue pursuing what I want because eventually I'll get there, but I never do. That is slavery. Real freedom is being able to surrender yourself to the King of kings and Lord of lords and say, your lordship over my life. I am free to live for you who is good and knows better than me. It's not real freedom to come, for my child to come to me and to say to me, I am an individual person living in this house and I have a bedroom and it will be the way I want it. You keep your bedroom, Dad, the way you want it. I'll keep mine the way I want it. That's not individuality. That's slavery to individuality. Coming and saying, as a maturing child... I am able to surrender to you, my parents, and say, how would you like me to go about business in this family? And I'm able to trust you and learn from you and and discover what your will is and why it is, and I am able to participate in that because you will give me the freedom for it. That's the exercise of freedom, the ability to choose. And so Jesus has freed us from idolatry, from sin. That's what he did for us. Every single one of us have different temptations. Whether they temptations of the heart, they're all temptations of the heart. We all have different ways in which we want to pick ourselves up and drive our lives. But Jesus makes this invitation to us. He says, come and follow me. Come and trust me. If you're not a Christian, Jesus says to you, I would like to demonstrate a greater love than you can ever know. A love for you that is faithful and reliable and I'll never let you go. A love that is demonstrated in the moment when a husband and a wife vow to each other in a wedding ceremony, but that moment uh, on a bigger scale for eternity. That's my love for you. And I've done everything to be able to call you to myself through the body that was broken, the blood that was spilt. Death has been defeated. Sins have been, puni- have been paid for. The punishment is over. There's grace in God. And Jesus says, come and be mine and let me teach you how to live.
And you have the freedom through faith in Jesus to come and lay yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, here's the title to my life. I give it to you. You have bought me. You have won me. You own me. I want to be yours. Take my life. Let me follow you. And if you've done that, you've, you've given Jesus your life, you've given ownership to him, he's bought you with a price. You can't really actually do that because you were dead and enslaved. Don't, don't get too theological with me, just stay with the picture. But you have experienced the giving of your life to Jesus and putting your faith in him. Then I want to remind you today that you are a, ves- a, a vessel, not a museum piece, not waiting in a bus stop. You are a vessel that is loved and has the Spirit of God in you so that you can do the purposes of God every day of your life. Every moment, even right now. Even this very second, even this minute, even this hour. God has a purpose for your life. Think about what's going on in your body besides the when will Mark finish feeling. Think about other feelings that are going on inside of you besides I'm getting hungry feeling. Is there, are there people God has called you to love? To be gracious to? To disciple? To give time to? To be generous towards? To bless? Is there someone you have to go repent to? Ask for, for their forgiveness? Is there a habit you have to, to put back to death? Every moment of your life, your, your body, your physical being has value. Let me pray for us.